Because if he's never treated you, you're going to hell as good as where you're sitting. Old Zacchaeus found himself up a tree. Jesus, he found himself on a tree. It was the tree of the finished. Over in Revelations, old John the Beloved found himself beside a tree. It was the tree of the forever. But I'm interested this morning in Elijah in 1 Kings chapter number 19. He found himself under a tree. And it was the tree of the fainting. The tree of the fainting. There are so many in this hour that are fainting. It's very rapid amongst God's people. Give up. Lose heart. Throw in the towel. I've had enough. Fainting is an inside job long before it's an outside reality. Be careful this morning of feelings of being offended and they're unchecked. I hear people all the time say, oh, I tell you, they really hurt my feelings. Ain't nobody ever hurt your feelings. The Bible said, great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. If you got offended, it's because you didn't love the Bible. Be careful this morning on unchecked offenses. Be careful this morning on unchecked depression. You're lower than snail snot. You better check it. It can lead to places you don't want to go. Unchecked depression. Unresolved feelings of bitterness towards someone else. An unforgiving spirit, unchecked, can lead you to places that you do not want to go. Discontent, I hear young people say often, I'm bored. Those statements unchecked will lead you to places that you don't want to go. Proverbs 4 said, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it shall flow the issues of life. Paul said that, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due time we shall reap, if we faint not. Fainting is very prevalent this morning. You say, oh, bless God, that's for weak people. I'm a strong old redneck South Carolinian. It'll never happen to me. It happened to Elijah. And I doubt very seriously there's an Elijah in the building. There is a possibility this morning of everybody in this building that between now and next Sunday in this Jubilee, you could get your feelings hurt and never come back over here again. There is that potential. Fainting. 
1 Kings 19, our text tells us, verse 1, and Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life, came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came, and here he is, sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die. He said, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life. I'm not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. I'm interested this morning to look at how fainting, falling by the wayside, giving up, can happen in a marriage, can happen in any kind of relationship, happen in a church situation. Just give up, throw in the towel, I've had enough of this. and Just go your merry way. I want to see how it happened to Elijah. Maybe we can learn from his mistakes and maybe not be prone to repeat them in our life. As we begin to unpack the text, I noticed for Elijah this morning, fainting involved fear gripping his heart. Fear gripping his heart. I notice in verses 2 and 3, there is the seeing of fear. The Bible says in verse number 2 that Jezebel sent Elijah a message he has killed now single-handedly by himself 450 of her prophets. He has sliced up their bodies and thrown them in the Kindred River. He did that all by himself. And she hears of it and she sends him a message in verse number 2. We're talking about the seeing of fear. And she said, about this time tomorrow, she says, I'm going to make mince meat out of you like you did to my prophets. But I'm interested in what happened. They read him the message. And in verse number three, he says, and when he, he didn't hear it, he saw it. Well, I'm going to tell you something, there's a big difference in Seeing something and hearing something. Have you ever had somebody to tell you something and all of a sudden you saw it? Oh, son, he saw it and fear gripped his heart. Hey, this ain't some Johnny come lately redneck from North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia. This is the Old Testament 
fair-haired boy. This is the old boy that prayed and it didn't rain for three and a half years and he said another little 16-word prayer and it rained. This is the one that ravens come and brought him bread and meat. Uh, this is one who raised the dead, filled a meal barrel, killed 450 prophets of Baal, and now he is lower than snail snot because of one woman and a little letter she sent him. You say, oh, preacher, that's for weak-kneed people. That'll never happen to me. It did him. Are you listening to me this morning? Of course, don't make light of anyone's fears this morning. Job said, the things that I feared the most, they have happened to me. Probably one of the greatest fears that any of us probably would have this morning is the fear of losing control. We're not running our show anymore. I've got bad news for you. You have never been running your show. Even you hard-nosed men here this morning that have an A personality, you've never been running your show either. There is the seeing of fear. But I notice in our text there is the spirit of fear. Fear is an awesome instrument that God has as leverage. I know some of you here this morning said, I ain't scared of nothing. Sure enough. I guarantee you. Let that heart of yours skip a beat. You be having a sister dial 911 and say how fast the ambulance can get over here and get that thing back beating right. You listening to me? I am a person of fear this morning. I'm a very fearful person. Always been a fearful person. I was raised in a home with a grandma that every night before she went to bed, she looked under every bed twice, and she looked in every closet twice, and she checked every window in the house twice, she checked every door in the house twice, and she checked all the gas jets in the house twice. Uh, that's before she went to bed. And after I got grown and I got married, she moved in with me. And she continued that practice. And when she died, she gave it to me. And so I've always been a fearful person. I, I hate to be anywhere where there's, uh, there's more than one door. Uh, that, it's just too many, too many doors for me to watch. Even when I remodeled my home, I, I boarded up, I, I, I bricked up one of the doors so I, I wouldn't be one less I wouldn't have to watch. That's why she travels with me. She ain't scared of nothing. And uh, if we were to carry a gun, which we don't, because uh, so many things in states and stuff from one state to the next, I, if I was to carry a gun, I, I'd always put her between me and the door and I, I would hold on to the gun because I'm, I've had my shadow scare me before. Some time ago, I was out in Missouri, 
holding a meeting and she didn't go with me. I flew out there and uh, I, I did not realize that God could in one house put all of my fears in one box and leave me petrified. I landed at the airport and the preacher picked me up and we went to a small town in Missouri uh, where he pastored a church Probably just one stoplight and a dollar general was, all, was in that town in his church. And they run over 500 people there on the side of the road. And he took me in the church and showed me around. And I noticed coming into town, I didn't see no motel. And I was thinking, oh my, I wonder where I'm going to stay. And so he said, come on, preacher. He said, we'll, we'll take you out to where you're going to stay. And we drove and... We drove and we drove and we drove. And I noticed that uh, I didn't see no more street lights. And, I, you know, it, it, the, the little houses, they were further and further apart. And after we had drove, I, I don't know how far, he finally come and he said, Preacher, he, he said, this is the driveway where you're going to be staying. And we turned and went up the driveway and we drove and, we drove and, and we drove. The driveway to that house was three and a half miles off the road. Uh, it went from asphalt to, to gravel to dirt to grass. And he had put me in a home that was built in 1800. And it was an old cattle farm house. And I don't believe that God could have ever been put me in any place where I was more petrified and fearful. I don't believe I ever been in a house with so many doors for me to watch. And who in the devil would build a house and put the windows on the floor? All you got to do is open them and step in. And there's windows everywhere. And I, he could tell I was uneasy. He could tell I was petrified. And he said, Preacher, you're going to be all right out here. And, you know, I put on my big board britches and said, Oh, yeah, you don't have to worry about me. God's with me. And I felt like before he left that God had touched bases on every petrifying fear that I had. But I realized after he left, that God had saved the best for last. I went in the kitchen to get me a drink of water, and I spied out of my eye beside the refrigerator not one mouse trap, not two mouse traps, not three mouse traps, but four mouse traps. I am petrified of mice. If one runs across this floor this morning, I'm going to get on the communion table until he is gone. If you got four mouse traps, you've got a mouse problem. <laughs> and sitting right in that house in Missouri, I realized that I must take care and deal with my fears as Elijah will deal with his underneath this juniper tree. There's two things that help me with my fears. One of them 
because I was struck with what the Apostle Paul said. He has not given us the spirit of fear. He has given us the spirit of adoption. A question for you this morning. Answer this question could be yes, this, no, this, or I don't know this. How many of you believe this morning you've been adopted by God? This would be a good answer. If you believe you've been adopted by God this morning, you believe you've been picked. I have a couple up in Kentucky. They have adopted two kids. They went down to the orphanage and they picked out the ones they wanted. They picked them. I don't know why God picked me. I have no earthly idea. Uh, the only time I ever got picked before I got saved uh, was I, I heard them say, we'll take Gillum if you give us first that. That's the only time I ever got picked. But to know God wanted me and know that I couldn't, that was amazing to me. He has adopted me. And Paul said because he has given us this spirit of adoption, we can call him Abba Father. I thought maybe we would try that word out. On the count of three, will you say it with me? One, two, three. Abba. Oh, you can do better than that. One, two, three. Abba. We're going to try it one more time. And this time I want you to watch your tongue and see what your tongue does when you say it. One, two, three. Abba. Did you notice what your tongue did? Nothing. It did not move. How come? Baby talk. Well, I'm out there in Missouri, and I got scared. Papa, Dada, I'm scared. I need your help. Second thing I remembered, I've got 16 grandchildren. If one of my grandchildren get up in the middle of the night and come to my bed and tell me they're scared, you will not hear me tell them to suck it up and go get back in the bed. Absolutely not. We're going to make a pallet beside the bed or they're getting in the bed with us. How come? I know what it is to be scared. But I'll often tell them to remember what time I am afraid I will trust in thee. Right out there in that house in Missouri, in that uh, box of a house, God had put all of my fears, and it was out there during those five days. I could call him Papa, and every time I felt like I was fearful, I could rest all of my weight upon him and trust him. And I've got good news. I know it sounds elementary. I know it sounds kindergartenish, but I'm telling you this morning, it it worked. It worked. Are you listening to me this morning? Here, Elijah has been struck with a spirit of fear. Spurgeon said, when some of us have no trouble, we have a factory in our minds that creates make-believe trouble. Virgin said, those troubles are like homemade clothes. They never do have a proper fit, and they last longer than any others. 
Oh, so many of us make believe troubles. 95% of the things we worry about and we're fearful of, they'll never happen. They'll never happen. Here, fear grips the heart. But I notice in our text, if you still have it there in front of you, not only does fear grip, uh, grip the heart, but fainting gaps the heart. I tell you, you can have a pity party if you want to. You can sit around and suck your thumb if you want to and whine, call people down the street, tell them how bad you're having it. It's one dangerous place you're living. One dangerous place you're living. Fainting is very dangerous in this hour. You say, why is it so dangerous, preacher? Because it immediately puts a gap between you and God. Puts a gap between you and God. I noticed for Elijah that it was a downward gap. Verse number three. He has gone from, in our text, from Jezreel down to Beersheba. That is a downward movement. It is a southern incline. It is a downward movement. Be careful whenever you are going down. Very dangerous. I don't think it's any accident in our Bible that Abraham went down to Egypt. That's where he come in contact with uh, Ishmael's mom and created a problem for us that we have never gotten over. Is it not Naomi that went down to Moab and she got down in so much trouble? Is it not Jonah that went down to Tarshish and got a whale ride back? It is dangerous this morning to get down. If you feel like you're down, you're sad, you're low, don't leave it unchecked. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. I notice in this downward gap, the Bible says in verse number four, but he himself went a day's journey. What? You're going to do what, Elijah? Into the wilderness. Can I give you a real deep theological truth this morning? God does not know the way into the wilderness. He only knows the way through. David, you pray for me, we're in a wilderness. I ain't praying for you. If you're in a wilderness this morning, it is of your own choice. Because God will only lead through a wilderness. He does not lead us to go into a wilderness and stay there. Are you listening to me this morning? See, some of us love a wilderness because it, it gives us opportunity to whine. Tell somebody else about how bad we got it. God only knows the way through the wilderness. He says all we've got to do is follow him. 
He does not lead into. He only leads through the wilderness. Fainting gaps the heart. It is a downward, downward gap. But I notice in verse number four, it is a depressing gap. The Bible says that he went into the wilderness and what? Sat down. Be careful this morning if all around your soul is giving way and you're in the dark, you don't know what to do. Do not stop your forward progress. It's very dangerous to pull off to the side of the road and take a break. Are you listening to me? Oh, don't sit down. Oh, gracious, don't do it. Here Elijah sat down. Be careful in stopping all forward motions. He said he sat down under a juniper tree. You'd almost think God wrote the Bible. The little word juniper here, the little Hebrew word, means to be bound about with the circumstances of life. He's tied up. Having himself a pity party. I dare y'all bless me. I really am bad. It, it, it's the best job I feel it. Gotten under a juniper tree. He says here in verse number four, he says, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life. I'm not better than my father. Here, Elijah wants suicide by God. Wants God to kill him. Now you know he's lying. I know he's a prophet. Probably one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament. But he's telling the biggest lie right here he's ever told. Preacher, how do you know he's lying? If he wanted to die, all he had to do is stay up there at Jezreel. She's going to take care of it tomorrow for him. She's going to hack him up. But he wants suicide by God. I do not hope this would pull off any band-aid for any of you to, this morning. If you have lived this, I know many families have come in contact with. I know uh, my wife and I have uh, distant kin have come in contact with the subject of suicide. I tell you, it's very dangerous this morning to entertain thoughts of suicide. And leave them unchecked this morning. Thought it was interesting. When Arthur Pink's book on David, uh, it was in that story of David that Saul committed suicide. Arthur Pink dealt with the subject of suicide in that commentary. Old Pink said someone asked him one day if someone could commit suicide and still go to heaven. I love what Arthur Pink said. He said, I don't know. He said, the Bible doesn't say. As to whether you could kill yourself and still go to heaven. But he says, I do know this. He said, it is a fearful thing to go out into eternity uninvited. You didn't get an invitation to come. To stand before the tribunal judgment seat of God with the last sin on your hands, the sin of rebellion, 
tell him, God, I'm going to have it my way. Hink said, that's a fearful thing. I would mention that to you this morning. You get down. That's often the last straw of getting down is wanting to end your life. I tell you that this morning is a very fearful thing stand before him and he didn't invite you to come. Here Elijah, depressing gap. And we're not talking of, we're not talking about some Johnny come lately. This man is a real man of God. And he has gotten as low as you can possibly get. And it has been unchecked. Fear grips the heart. Fainting gaps the heart. But I see in our text that feelings guile the heart. Notice for Elijah there are the feelings of self-deception. Self-deception. Often when we get low we deceive ourselves. He says in verse number 10, God speaks to him in a small still voice. And he says in verse number 10, and he says, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, slain thy prophets with a sword. And I, even I only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. He told God, he said, listen God, I am the only one still standing. Any of you ever like that? I'm the only one keeping this family together. I'm the only one around here doing anything at this house. I'm the only one at this church doing anything. Self-deception. He thought it was such a good idea, he thought he'd tell God again. Verse 14. And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thy altar, slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. See, when you're low this morning, unchecked, discontent, offended, oh, self-deception will set in. You'll get to thinking you are as good as what the devil's been telling you you are. Self-deception. Feelings guile the heart. But I see in our text, not only is there self-deception by Elijah, but there's a sovereign declaration by God. Notice what God tells him. He says in verse 18, he says, Yet have I left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which has not kissed him. <laughs> he said, Elijah, he said, I got 7,000 preachers <laughs> that haven't bowed the knee. And if you're on Twitter, he would have probably put on there and hashtag ain't none of them under a juniper tree this morning. Are you listening to me? Feelings guile the heart. Unchecked feelings. I close this morning. Fear gripping the heart. Fainting gap in the heart. Feeling guile in the heart. But food grows the heart. Preacher, if I'm having these feelings of depression, discontentment, what should I do? Better do what Elijah did. 
The Bible says in chapter 19 and verse number 5, the angel woke him and said, Arise and eat. What's the angel got cooking? He says in verse number 6, he's got a cake baking on the coals. Speaks of the crucified Christ. Says he's got water to drink. Speaks of the word of God. Together, they're the difference between milk and meat. Milk and meat. I'd imagine a church as deep theological as this is, you would probably know the difference between milk and meat. Surely you do. Maybe I could ask some of you what the difference. Man, some of you starting to look at the floor. <laughs> what the difference with milk and meat is. I asked a young man that not long ago. He said one's a liquid and the other one's a solid. Not exactly what I was looking for. This is deep. I don't even know. You may want to write this down. It's so deep. But here it is. The difference between milk and meat. One of them comes from a cow and the other one is a cow. Extremely deep. See, 99% of Baptists this morning, all they're living on is milk. It's what they can get from somebody else. It's what they can get in Sunday school. It's what they can get in preaching hour. Maybe listen to some little radio broadcast, some little podcast. And all it is, anything I give you this morning might be deep. But once it's come into me, I've shaken up and homogenized and given to you. It ain't nothing but milk. If you want to get meat, you must open the cow. You must cut it off and feed yourself some steak. The only way you can get steak. Most dangerous thing about being on a milk diet, the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter number 5, if you're on strictly milk, he said you cannot tell the difference between good and evil. Now that's dangerous. There are some of you sitting right here this morning, you cannot tell the difference between good and evil. You would call evil good, and you would call good evil. Yeah, listen to me this morning. Because you're on a milk diet. James says, draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. If you're not drawing nigh to God, you cannot resist the devil and you cannot cast your cares upon him. You'll mince meat for the devil. Notice what this food that drove the heart did for Elijah. He told him to arise and eat for one reason in verse number 7. He says, because the journey is too great for you. I was interested in that little word, great. It is akin to the word that he uses in verse number 4, enough. More than one can handle. It's almost like the angel said, <laughs> you know, a minute ago, Elijah, when you said you'd had enough, it was more than you can handle. He said, you're right. This journey, I'm here to tell you this morning, this journey is more than you can handle. Oh, Oral Roberts, he used to come on TV years ago when I was a kid and they'd have the picture right in his face when he comes on, and he'd have his finger in the camera, and he'd say, something good's going to happen to you today. Can I tell you the truth? Something bad's fixing to happen to you today, and it may happen to you before you get home. What could get me through it, preacher? What you've been eating. The journey's great. 
He told him to arise and eat. He said, this trip's more than you can handle. The writer of Proverbs says, If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. I'm reminded of the little old boy playing marbles outside the old Texas road, dirt road, and man come up in the carriage, the road's all rutted out. It's about rung the wheels clear off his carriage, and he stops there and speaks to the boy. He asked the little boy, he says, the road always like this? Yep. Keep shooting marbles. He said, does it ever get any better? Yep. Keep shooting marbles. He says, when does it get better? He stopped, stands up, and he said, sir, he said, it's rough all the way into town. He said, but as soon as you get past the graveyard, he said, they got it paved all the way into town. <laughs> Honey, if you're looking for an easy road, you better jump ship from God because it's going to be rough all the way to the graveyard. But once you get to the graveyard, she's paved all the way in. Better get you some food. Rise and eat, the angel told him, because of the great journey. But I noticed last of all, there is gracious justice. And the angel told him, you've got the Bible there, chapter number 19. He speaks to him out of a still, small voice. And he tells him in verse 15, And the Lord said, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. He says in verse 16, And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shall thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, shall thou anoint to be prophet. What? 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 Elijah, I've got your replacement. I want you to go anoint him to be the new prophet. You can go ahead and suck your thumb and whine. You can get offended over here at the church and get mad and leave. Don't worry about it. Don't even worry your little old head. God's got your replacement probably sitting on your pew the next time they convene church. Are you listening to me? He said, I've got your replacement, Elijah. But oh, there's gracious justice. Although he had his replacement, he still used old Elijah. Call fire down out of heaven and destroyed a hundred of God's enemies. I love it. He got to go down there and tell Jezebel and Ahab that the dogs were going to lick their blood. That would almost be like God letting a preacher go to the White House and tell Bill and Hillary the dogs are going to eat their blood. Boy, wow, that would be awesome. Dropped his mantle on Elisha, and he caught a chariot out of here. 
and Elijah ain't died yet. If you sense that you're getting down, fainting, just don't feel like you can go no further. Could I tell you this? Arise and eat. Preacher, have you got just a, a simple thought that you could give me when I get fearful, when I get sad, when I get down? Yes, here it is. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. The things of this earth will grow strangely dim. The light of his glory and grace. Preacher, that's the message. It's yours.